No way. I If you had told me Matt was going to play, I would have flown out myself this morning. Welcome to Clocker Counter. I'm James Wiseman and with me is Ryan Young. So we're back. Ryan, how do you feel? I feels the same. <laughs> so you, you told me something before we started today, which is the most shocking thing I've heard in 2024. What did you just tell me? That I went out with my free time without being coerced and jammed. Well, you got ahead of my first question, which is, were you at gunpoint? Did you need help? Where did you go? Why did you go? Who was there? What happened? Okay. I think the part that you will most pick out is Matt Gothier was there and he played. No way. If you had told me Matt was going to play, I would have flown out myself this morning. (laughs) If you had told me at 7 a.m. this morning, I would have found a way to get there. There's a good chance he will jam again in two weeks. Really? In Seattle. What happened? I don't know. I didn't talk to him too much, but it just seemed like that was the thing to do. Like this. Yeah. This so is amazing. How it like him about was uh, Katie Gimma is coming into town uh-huh. and I needed a place for Katie to go next weekend when I go to dance because I have like a show on Friday and Saturday. And I was like, oh, she can go to Cindy and Tony's house. And then when I texted them, Cindy and Tony's like, oh, Matt and Lisa are in town this weekend. And you should come out the jam. I think Mary's going to open the gym. And I was like, sure, I'll go out and jam. (laughs) (laughs) I, the idea that you and Matt Gothier jammed speaking is the most mind blowing thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I did not know that part when you told me that you jammed today. (coughs) Sorry, I'm getting over a little bit of a cold, but I I can't even come up with an uh, analogy for that. That's like the two least likely people in the world to jam. That's like if Joe Biden and Donald Trump freestyled in sheep's meadow today (laughs) like it's so unlikely that i can't even believe it so how did he play i mean what's the story was he incredible you could tell that at one point i mean it was obvious that he was the best player in the world (laughs) a few years ago and he still had a lot of touch but Uh i could tell his body was hurting (laughs) the whole time which i think was the main yep hurting really oh man did he seem like he had a good time? Yeah. It looked like he hadn't jammed like since the last time I jammed as well. Wow. So who else was there? Uh, Cindy, Tony, Mary, Mike, Lisa, Steve. I mean, this is incredible. Two weeks. I'm going to look at plane tickets. I got to I gotta talk to Matt, though. I can't show <laughs> up. If, Matt, if I show up to Seattle and Matt's not there to jam, that would be a catastrophe. Although I had to get... A medical procedure done. I don't know. I got to figure this out. This is unbelievable. If Matt starts jamming again, that changes everything for me personally. I don't know. It gets me fired up. Like I need to be practicing and training. <laughs> there was and- this moment in the jam where it was early on. So I was like still feeling out like how Matt was doing. And like the discs, we were on the run and it was like ping ponging fast and we're like going into the wall there's like a rock wall there and i'm like all right matt is out of options now all he has to do is like bail and he goes scarecrow brush portland set into my catch (laughs) oh my god (laughs) wow so was it a big mob op the whole time or did it break up into groups there were two groups of four two groups of four were you 
How much of the day were you in Matt's jam? About half of the time. How much do you think I would have been in the Matt jam? You would probably have been like 80, 80%. No, 100% of the time. I would have taken whatever card I have. I would have taken my pro card and I just would have set it down. And I would say, I am seasoning it, man. Like this is <laughs> my jam. Come at me. Say whatever you want. I don't care. I'm jamming with Matt. I am so jealous. You don't deserve this. You don't even want to freestyle. I'm out here grinding in the snow trying to build a jam scene, and then you just get to show up and play with Matt. The world is so unfair, Ryan. So unfair. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, I don't even know where to go from here. Like, There's probably at least six people listening who are like, who's Matt? But, but those people don't understand. Well, on the freestyle front, I don't have a ton to report. I told you that now that it's winter time, we've been having some very long Brendan, Will, me sessions in the Spin Factory. Today we were doing the 10 in a row drill, but we did like, I don't know, 10 10s in a row. We maybe only got like three or four total, but we got a bunch of like five, six, and sevens. So I was pretty, pretty happy. And Will did the most... I had the big proud <laughs> papa moment where we're we're at 10 and Will has it and he's like, Do you want it? I'm like, go for it. And he goes through a big double barrel guidance and hits it. <laughs> and I was like, that is how we do this. You gotta end 10 in a row strong. <laughs> so that was really fun. And I'm super psyched that Brendan's playing a lot this winter. I think I don't know if it's like schedule change or what it is, that he's back in action and really fired up. And he brings just like a completely different element to the game that I really like. He's just he's just in his own little world where different rules of physics apply. And it's I feel like I'm trying to think of his analogy. It's not quite like me and Daniel or Will and Brendan, but there's a little bit something like that where like Will is probably like more technical and Brendan's more like explosive. So it's like kind of a fun pair to play mm -hmm. with them. Um but hopefully, I think because they're playing together a lot, they'll kind of take the pieces from each other and both come out with a little bit of the other person, which I think can always be pretty awesome. Okay, but anyways, you were here last month. <laughs> Lots of things happened. But now that we've gotten a little bit of freestyle out of the way, we'll come back to freestyle. But <laughs> let's talk about... I don't remember if we... I don't think we made exactly predictions about how dota would go when you got <laughs> no. here but i think you are highly skeptical of my claims that i had improved at dota and how did it go when you got here i think just the stats we went from a 23 or 27 percent win rate to a 60 percent win rate and it felt so much better than that the we won like day. 25 <laughs> straight games yeah <laughs> We were on fire. It was, the, I felt the, the more vindicated than I had in my entire life. I, I knew we were going to do better. I, we, <laughs> we've watched so much Dota this year. I trained for the week before you got here. It was such a blast. We probably played 12 hours a day, every day for <laughs> seven straight days. Now, okay, I, we won't go into much more detail about the Dota other than to say, this is mostly for Andre out there who's actually interested <laughs> in our Dota careers. We were awesome. We were, I, I, the end was a little rough, but like okay. <laughs> once Dota realized we were actually pretty good, we started getting smashed. But 
we still maintained our 60 plus win rate. Yep. We, I definitely noticed improvement in your play since the last time, but I was going to rain on your parade a little bit. Rain on my parade. I'm okay, ready. I'm so, ready. I'm, this is a growth mindset. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. ready to grow. So the last time we played when we had the 30% win rate, yeah, not even, but continue. Yeah. What would happen is Dota would look at our two skill levels and choose the higher one and just matches with opponents that were that skill level. But what we expected to happen this time was you improved to my skill level and we would go in and just win a bunch of games. Uh-huh. So we started playing and we just won a bunch of games. And I think the outcome or like... <laughs> where the conclusion was you got better, but I was doing some research online and they changed the matchmaking algorithm from MMR, which is ELO based to the Glico based, which is like the new MM, new ELO algorithm. Uh-huh. And it's significantly more accurate. And so it's just giving us lower level opponents. The next that's this time we played. Got it. So it wasn't just taking your high level MMR and just putting us in that as if it I was that good. Yeah, apples to apples something. comparison. Well, I was going to rain on my own parade, which is to say, <laughs> I play. I have played a little bit since you left, probably more than I would like to, and I need to stop at some point. And I played enough to get my ranking. And <laughs> I saw it. It's pretty much like the thirtieth percentile. <laughs> so seventy percent of the you know million people playing are better than me. But that's fine. I've basically been playing for four weeks. So, oh, I have another thing. <laughs> I have another. Uh-oh. There's another storm coming in. Oh, okay, what's so that? When they changed the matchmaking algorithm, they also changed uh, how the medals work. So, like in Dota, first they have a number, but it's somewhat hidden, and they mm-hmm. give you like titles. And these titles don't really mean anything. We just kind of like have to roughly associate what title goes with what. And when they made the switch like three months ago, the bottom uh, title was called Herald and it had like the bottom 30% of players mm-hmm. in there before. They're like, no, we, we should spread it out. So now the old top of Herald is now like Crusader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm a, <laughs> like, whatever. I'm way above Herald. But I, <laughs> I looked at the distribution i it was updated i think in november to see where i was in the percentile and the estimate was like 30 percent yeah you're which in the 30th is not percent. which is obviously not very good but <laughs> i actually think it's crazy that there's that many people that are so good at this not because i'm good i know that i'm not good but there's still like 150 characters and i know every single one of them <laughs> and what they do and every single item I mean, if you had to study for the test called Dota 2, it would take you so many hours just to learn the names of things. And you're telling me there's like 10 million people out there that know all of that. I would think there would be a bigger group of people (laughs) that have no idea what they're doing. You know, it's like freestyle where you only really need to know one spin to be good in competition. It's like that. But your skill set is like you don't know you know a little bit of both spins but like is it would be better if you knew all of clock or all of counter. i feel like i'm an art historian who's competing in an art contest <laughs> like like i know a lot about art 
but it doesn't mean I can make it. Like I, I'm out there and I, and I can tell you, here's what Dota is about, but like pressing the buttons at the right time, not a strength. Real time decision-making, not the best. Yeah. Once we got to like day seven of the 12 hour days of Dota, I was ready to be like, now we need to start practicing Dota. We've like played enough to know what to improve on. And now we need to just drill it out. You also only slammed your fist on the table, I think, three times, <laughs> three. which was like a huge improvement over the three times an hour the last time we played Dota. So that was good. Okay. Somewhat of a forced segue here. But is there anything from the Dota changes in terms of skill and matchmaking that applies to frisbee like why why do they switch from elo to this new thing it's like a more accurate version so it will the biggest thing it does is it adjusts adjusts to skill a lot quicker than the plain old elo algorithm got it but like what is it actually doing mechanically that's different i haven't looked into it some i looked it up briefly and i was like that's interesting and i forgot about it after i will say my experience and like i don't have a lot of experience because we probably play like one month every other year for like the last five years but the matchmaking does seem so much better like almost every game is yep. pretty close and pretty even and as a lay person i always thought why is it so hard to get matchmaking right <laughs> and apparently it is really hard but i think they finally figured it out and yep. it's amazing like it's so rare that we get destroyed or destroy people. It's just like pretty, pretty well-rounded. Um, cool. So that's Dota. But we also played a tiny bit of Frisbee while you were here. But the most fun thing we did is I got the new Z-meter that has, as far as I know, unlimited RPM measuring abilities. <laughs> and we played around with it. What were your first impressions? It is smaller than I thought. And it looks cool. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just used to the current spin meter, how it's like, it looks outdated. It's like when you look at a calculator from the 80s, that's how the old spin meter looks. And this new one's like Bluetooth that has like LEDs on it. And it's like glued on <laughs> in like this very special machine way that's obvious when you look at it. Yeah. And it's, it feels much more natural and much more like throwing a regular Sky Styler, which is a huge improvement. And when we were first using, when you were here and we used it, it was like instantaneous. It's like I threw, you threw, I threw, you threw, boom, 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 boom. We got all the measurements. And it has a lot of other interesting measurements, like the angle you throw at the miles per hour, like all this other stuff. The only thing is since you've left, and I'm sure they're still working out the bugs, like this just came out in December. We were having a little bit more trouble outside when we were throwing to each other, the Duke students and I. And I kind of missed the it's not analog, but like the analog nature of, I can just look at the back of the disc and see what the spin was. Cause there were times where we'd throw it like four times and it wasn't registering on the app and there was no other way to know about it. <laughs> and part of me was wondering if it like works well in my garage because there's no like interference and we're not throwing it very far. But when we were outside, we were having a lot more trouble, but main thing that anyone cares about, what kind of spin were we throwing? Like, mid to high 900s i would say and so far i have two over 1000 recorded 
regular I was there for the first one. 1056. That's still my record. 10. <laughs> now, okay, but one thing that's interesting, it's it does seem like the new spin meter generally correlates with the old one. So like we threw the old one a couple times and it was about in the ballpark of the new one. The only thing about the new one is it seems like the variance is a lot higher. Like I feel like when you throw the old one, you're throwing between, you know, whatever, like 920 and 940. And it's like hard to get way above that or way below that. For some reason with the new one, it like jumps up and down more. And I have a theory about that that's completely based in nothing. (laughs) But I've heard that like bad scales like to weigh yourself they have like this memory problem where they kind of like remember the last few times you've weighed and they have trouble like jumping up or down whereas like a really good scale every time you do it is a clean slate and i wonder if there's some element of that with the old one where like it just kind of like gets it's like sticky wherever you are and it's not going to jump up and down as easily. Hmm. I could see that. I have no idea how the accelerometer works in either of them. <laughs> um, but God, I will say it's so frustrating that how it feels coming out of your hands is only like 60% correlated to how much <laughs> spin you throw. I think like when everything is right, I generally am like, oh yeah, like that one felt good. But anything between like 40 and 80%, I could not tell you how fast I threw it until I (laughs) see the measurement. Yeah, like I, it was hard to differentiate between a really good throw and just like a good throw. It was like, I could not tell what it was out of my hand. But in the one that I have, or like the old one, I do feel like I could predict if it was a good throw or not. Really? Yeah, I do think one of the factors that I've hypothesized that the weight of the old one is just a huge problem for at least (laughs) me and several other people feels totally true. Because when I throw the old one, it feels like um, doing something different to try to make this heavy disc work. But when I throw this one, I just feel like I'm throwing a regular Sky Styler. And I don't know, it feels much more natural. I do think already, though, it's improved my throw a lot. I think, like, certainly not that many years ago, I was throwing rarely above 900. And then I think even, like, last year, like, 900 was kind of, like, where I could hover around. But with this thing, I'm much... The range is a lot bigger. But I feel like I'm throwing between, like, 920 and 990. Okay. All right, I have a question for you. When I was testing it out in your garage... I was having a hard time being accurate with my throws. Did you notice anything with your accuracy when throwing? Was there, I didn't notice anything with either of our accuracies. But it was very obvious when I was throwing. And I was like, is this because my shoulder has been hurt and I, this is the first time I've been throwing since Columbia? Or is it because of the spin meter? Like I could not get it to fly in the path that I wanted it to. It always hyzered out really fast. And I was like, why is it hyzering out this we're throwing 20 feet. That's interesting. I didn't notice. I certainly haven't noticed that for me. I don't really remember noticing it for you, but obviously I wouldn't know the flight path that you're intending. I don't know. 
I mean, also, like, you might be trying to throw it differently because we were kind of experimenting a little bit. Because one thing that, you know, as I mentioned, it has these other measurements, and it seems like you could figure out how to use those other measurements to help you throw more spin. So, like, one thing we learned pretty quickly, and this is so unscientific, so take it with a grain of salt, but it seems like when we focus on throwing more hyzer, we were able to throw more spin, which... I don't know. I guess it makes sense. It's more like throwing it vertically. So (laughs) it gives you, I don't know, like there's something a little bit more fluid and natural about it. And I still think you could throw it hyzer that way and still throw it very flat as long as you like angle your body a little bit, a little bit differently. So that like, I think is a big improvement. I will say also though, this is like, I'm excited about this. I feel like this is what like the Daniels of the world deal with. So it like makes me feel like, Oh, I'm in the right spot. I now have to like pick my battles a little bit more. Like I cannot throw max spin every time or my shoulder will fall off. (laughs) And it does feel good. I think like it's really like figuring out how to get the rest of my body into the throw. And that's like very satisfying. Yeah. I've just been experimenting lately with trying to, I don't know, use more legs when throwing for freestyle. And I was like, I can't. I don't, I can't. I'm not even, sure I've gotten my legs into it that much, but I feel like I'm getting my hips into it. I guess those could be, yeah, because your hips are like anchored by your legs. Because like the disc golf throw is half legs. I'm like, can we be throwing twice as much spin if our legs were involved? Yeah, I don't know, because the legs seem like they're important for distance. I don't know, but it's all the same, right? It's just about like power and speed. I, w- I think my, I don't even know if you'd call it, it's like barely an analogy because it's like the same thing. But I feel like the way I'm trying to throw now has some relationship to when people who are really good at the behind the back throw, like how they <laughs> generate more spin. Like they're basically like slamming their arm against their body to get mm-hmm. that extra bit of spin. I feel like that's what happens. Like my hips are like <laughs> pushing against my arm and shoulder and that like gives that barrier that generates more spin. Can you your max spin is your throwing right handed is your right or left foot forward? My right foot forward for okay. sure. Me too. Yeah. But that seems the opposite of like how you throw a baseball or everything. I know what you mean, but I think it's because like I that's what creates the fulcrum. I don't know how to describe it. If the fulcrum this is one day when people actually know how this works, we're going to just sound so ridiculous sometimes, <laughs> but if the fulcrum is in your left leg and you're throwing right-handed, the fulcrum's like too far away. So it's like very inefficient, <laughs> but if it's your right, it's right there. You're whipping it around just like but how like you want to have like is longer. It probably whips harder at the end. If it's perfectly whipped. That's true. I don't know. Well, we got to experiment. <laughs> yeah. what it's so the, annoying, uh, though, because you can't <laughs> invest too much into some other throw. You know, it's like it might take me five years to know if throwing it this way would be better. I will spend those five years. I'll be in <laughs> Colombia, like learning Spanish and like in my off time, I'll be like, what if in the future someone figures out the other, the more ideal throw? It's like 30 percent more spin, but it's everything's the opposite like the timing is the opposite like a disc golf throw and it's like you just have to unlearn when you learn the new throw i think i've talked about this in like at least other ways but i think a lot about how like one of my favorite authors is bill bryson and he wrote about like scientists and 
like medical discoveries and whatnot. And it's interesting that so many people who come up with some groundbreaking thing, they're kind of just lucky because everyone was trying everything and they're the ones that happen to be <laughs> like be right. But it doesn't mean they're like smarter or better. It's just like there's billions of people out there and there's a, be a bunch of people who try like 500 different options and like a couple of them are going to be right so like there's definitely an element but th the flip side of it is like 99 of people are going to be wrong so what you don't want to be is the person who spends like 30 years developing some new throw technique that like actually is wrong because <laughs> you're far more likely to pick the wrong technique then pick the right technique. Like I want other people to waste their lives doing that. And then I'll find the person who figured it out and be like, I'm going to copy you, which <laughs> is kind of what we do. Right. Yeah. It's sort, of, it's sort of like I throw it this way. Cause that seems to be how other people throw it. And like, I feel like I just throw it. Like I see Jake and Matt throw it. And I'm like, I'm going to just try to do that. It works for them. There's probably a better way. It's almost like companies, right? Some newfangled company that needs to make a name for itself could try to figure out some new throw, <laughs> but everyone else is trying to make money. Like, let's just do it the way that it works. Yeah. I don't know, but it's fun. I need to use it a little bit more. I was getting frustrated that the app wasn't working better, but I should check to see if they updated it and get back out there. But boy, like I'll wear my arm out really quickly throwing that thing. I was also happy that I could get around like 900 with my left hand. But I would love, like, my the dream goal, I feel like this would be the metric in the future, is, like, you have to be able to throw both hands 1,000 RPM. That was, like, all pros can do it type of thing. Yeah, it was, like, the bare minimum. <laughs> I still don't have a sense of what's the max. Like, can someone <laughs> throw 1,200 RPM right now? I think I have so. no idea. Once they find that backwards technique, everyone I, I I've lost my staker. Like, it's fine. But it used to be every time I threw my staker, I maxed out the old one. But like now I can't max out anything with my staker. But I would have loved to know that. <laughs> like that was my best throw. And I wish like we don't have anything yeah. that exciting to test. Like none <laughs> of us here has the Beto helicopter. So we don't really know what the limits are. Like I think the 10, 60, 70s are the highest we've gotten so far. Which is cool, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like we're throwing crazy throws. I know. I wish we had this when I was in my prime throwing days, like 2017. I mean, I wasn't going to say anything, but I mean, you used to throw way more spin than me, and <laughs> tie the tables have turned. Yeah, I remember. Like, what's the weakest part of the throw for you right now? Like, can you tell what the bottleneck is? No. Well, okay, kind of. So I feel like. When I kind of how I said earlier, like 40 to 80 percent, I couldn't tell you. But when I feel like everything comes together and I'm like, I know that was a good throw. It's because I like am, ah, it's hard to describe, but it's sort of like I am gripping and holding the disc longer. And like that holding it longer allows it to snap harder out of my hand. <laughs> like it's almost like it catches like. It's like almost like it's not supposed to like you're trying to like go, but it gets stuck. on. I know the feeling, but that's what gets it to just go. <laughs> it's like for when I was in my prime, the limiting factor would be my grip. Like I couldn't just it would slip out of my hand if I tried to throw it harder. But now I can get nowhere near that. I can always hold on to it. My arm is just weak, but it probably is something that's just like a nanosecond timing. Nanoseconds probably extreme, <laughs> but like 
you have to pick the perfect moment to release the disc. And that moment is super narrow. I think it like from a, objectively it's super narrow, but I think from like a brain body perspective, it's probably large, like how good your body, your brain is controlling your body. It's like a easy target to hit. So like, I don't know, like so ahead, playing drums, like how hard is it for them to hit a beat regularly? That's probably really easy to be like within 10 milliseconds every time for like 20 minutes. Uh, disagree. Is that it's, hard? So my idol when I was an obsessive drummer was this drummer named Keith Carlock. And I heard stories about him when he was at North Texas. Okay, let me lay let me lay the scene for you here. <laughs> okay. I, this is like my dream. I get to talk about Keith Carlock. So Keith Carlock went to North Texas, the North Texas jazz program. I don't know if this is true anymore. And this is also in the category of things of like, this is what I believed to be the truth when I was in high school. But now that I'm an adult, like who knows? But like my understanding is that North Texas has the best or among the best jazz programs in the world. We're just like kind of random, like Denton, Texas. Why? But like, yes, it's an amazing jazz program. And it is certainly the best place for a drummer to go. And they have a very legendary teacher named Edso. Main thing to know is that just like anything, just like freestyle, if you would go to the highest level school, the people there are doing like the craziest stuff. Like they just, it's all about like being super flashy and having like these incredible skills. And Keith Carlack would go every day and you just play like the basic like boom, catch, boom. He would do that for like 10 hours a day. He would not do anything else except do just like the rudimentary downward drag set like all day long over and over and over again but he was a legend and everyone knew he was the best drummer there and one thing he would do that would just like blow people's minds is you could go in while he was playing to like just a basic beat to a metronome and you could turn off the metronome and you could wait for like 10 straight minutes and turn the metronome back on and or like you would turn the volume down when you turn the volume back up he would not have budged an inch (laughs) from the beat and that is like godlike, okay. nobody can do that so that's i don't know it's hard to do that i used to practice that a ton when i was in high school because i was obsessed with keith carlock and i feel like it was very hard to go like even 10 or 20 seconds and come back on but the other thing he would do which i was also obsessed with doing it he would do like really slow beats like 20 beats per minute and like it's it's agonizing it's like <laughs> it's just like staring at someone on a first date in silence like the strength <laughs> it takes to just wait for the next beat but he was so good at it so that's a complete random aside that has very little to do with anything but i think that's an incredible skill and i think <laughs> like anything that requires i mean that's like dota that's like football that's like everything like the highest level skills of something is having timing down to milliseconds. But you're okay. But you remind me of one thing I want to do, which I'm pretty sure with this new disc, you can go on the website and download all of your data for all your throws, which A is just really cool. The old one, you only get um, two at a time. And I remember like, I used to like write them down and like, (laughs) like try to track, track things. But it would be really cool. You'd have to be like kind of disciplined about it because you'd have to like keep track of, what you were throwing and what you were trying to do. But I would love to just see like the bell curve to be like, okay, I'm just going to throw my normal backhand 
mm-hmm. 10,000 times for the next like few weeks, get all that data. And I'm guessing it would be like a normal curve or like <laughs> yeah. something like that. And, or like there's a couple, like there's a couple of different curves that I think would be interesting, but I do think like there would be those times where you just crushed everything and the timing was perfect and you have like 1056 but everything i don't know like i would love to see that graph but i'm very curious (laughs) but there's also a confounding variable which is how much variance is just in the machine and like how would that how much would that distort i'm sure there is a way to tell like you put enough data in and you'll be like now we know the accuracy of the sensor yeah i don't know i do like that it will measure way less spin too so like (laughs) if you the old one, if you just like lightly toss it to somebody, it doesn't really measure this one. It will measure it. Like that was 36 <laughs> per PM. Very nice. <laughs> but it's very cool. It's very cool. Okay. This might be a short podcast. Anything else we need to be talking about? Any pressing matters? I don't think so. I bought an, a new guitar. Oh, yeah. So now you're in a guitar. I can't keep up with you. <laughs> Hopefully you'll give up biking soon. That, no. I was trying to calculate, wait, were we on the podcast? I was trying to calculate when I would give it up. It was something like six years out. There's like six years of development where I'm just like in the fun zone still. Yeah. A Viking. But how is your guitar going? It's, there is constant improvement, but the part, oh, I was describing it to a friend at work. It's like in programming, it was like at work. So talking about programming, it's like in programming at the very start, you learn like five things that are pretty easy. And when they all work, your program works and it's awesome. But to play a song, like one of those five things is really hard, which is switching the chords around with your left hand. And that part just like is so painfully slow at improving. And I'm like, it takes a noticeable like half second for me to switch my fingers around. And it, you can hear it, but. Yeah, you know, so interesting like especially someone like me and i think you too you know my first 26 years on this planet was spent doing hard learning just constantly (laughs) and it was music it was like all the same things when i tried to play guitar and i played guitar when i was like a little when i tried to play guitar again at like 29 i was like (laughs) no this is miserable (laughs) this is terrible and then I tried and I still want to do this. Like I've my whole life. I've really wanted to learn how to play piano. It's like, like getting personal for a moment. Like one <laughs> of my biggest disappointments in life is that I cannot sing. Like I love singing. I'm so moved by singing. It feels good for me to sing, but I am just objectively, I'd have no voice. Like my voice is messed up. My voice is actually, my vocal cords were nicked when I was a baby. I had like a surgery, had like problems when I was born and they intubated me, right? Where they like put the tubes in and they like cut my vocal cords or something. And so like, I have like a little bit of a weird voice. It's like very weak. Like I lose my voice a lot. Um, and I can't sing. I hate that. So like the next best thing for me is piano. Like I would love <laughs> to just be able to like, be like, oh, like there's a piano here. Like let me play something and just play some like beautiful piano song, but I can't do it. But I got a piano last year and I started practicing and I was like, this is like learning check. It's just like so miserable <laughs> to sit down and be like, put my, this finger here and that finger there. And somehow I'm supposed to be able to do this with like 10 fingers in real time <laughs> while looking at like ink on a page. It's just, 
it's sociopathic to learn something like we talked instrument. about this when I was there, but do you learn like how we talk about learning freestyle on the podcast or do you learn for fun? Cause I learn guitar for fun, like at a fun rate. So I was about to get to that because I think until I started working, I think all learning in my life was fun or like <laughs> it was like internal motivation. Like we talked about before. And I think, you know, like there's a part of me that wants to say like, look, like I'm older now, my brain's not as plastic and I've been out of like learning mode for a really long time, but that's not totally true because my job is like extremely demanding and I'm constantly learning complicated things. Like I am working on this thing at work right now that is so complicated. It just is infuriating. Like it took me (laughs) months to figure out how this thing works and now I am tasked with trying to like explain it to everyone in the world. And I'm like, there's no way to explain this in five sentences. It's way too complicated. So like, I feel like I do this kind of deep learning all the time and I hate it. There's a part of me that worries that because it's externally motivated, it's like ruined deep learning for me. It's <laughs> like, I hate learning. Like I do it because they pay me money to do it, but I don't want to do it anymore. So I don't know. I hope that when I'm retired, I'll... You know, I just need to fill the day and I'll be excited about it. And then I do think the very beginning of something could be just exhausting. Like I haven't gotten to a sweet spot at piano where you can learn quickly. Like for instance, like drumming, I was a really good drummer. And the nice thing about being good at anything is like it's a snowball. Look, okay, there's like <laughs> plateaus and whatnot. But the nice thing about drumming is like I could read any drum music in real time. Like four body parts, totally syncopated. So like I would just buy like book, 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 book. And I could just every day be like, I'm going to play every single thing in this and that will make me better. And it's fun because I'm doing <laughs> it for the first time. I'm able to do it. It's kind of like we talk about, it's right in that sweet spot of like, this is something I've never done before, but I'm good enough to do it. And it's like rapid learning. But piano, it's like, here's one page of sheet music that will take me like months <laughs> <laughs> to be able to learn and what's frustrating when i play piano it's like the memorization is obscuring the learning it's like <laughs> i'm basically like memorizing this thing way faster than i'm actually getting better at piano and that's kind of a problem you know what i mean there i feel like maybe that's what you're supposed to do but i don't know i don't know definitely i guess that happens in chess because you like memorize a bunch of lines, but you're not getting better at chess because like principles and. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, like playing the same Dota character over and over again, but like not really. Maybe it's like memorizing all the skills of all the Dota characters before you can like <laughs> do a three skill combo. I don't know. I wish I could come up with a better analogy. Um, one thing I'm curious about trying is, and this is from the Dota podcast, actually, I and I hate to even say this. I'm actually off Facebook, by the way, if anyone's worried that I, del- my account is deleted. It's gone. It's like out of the universe. But I might have to buy a MetaQuest whatever because there's apparently <laughs> this amazing piano app that makes like a real piano, like Guitar Hero or something. But I need to research if it's, well, I just learned a bunch of, guitar hero or I learn fundamentals but if it makes piano learning more like a game 
I think that could be really valuable for me. But I'm going to be super annoyed if the only way I can use the meta quest, whatever, is to make a new Facebook account. <laughs> but whatever, I'll make like a dummy one. That's not why really does real. it have to be in VR? That doesn't make any sense to me. What do you mean? Like the quest is like a VR headset, right? Yeah. Like, why does this game have to be in VR? Like, are you? I get it. I mean, like, you could just have a screen, like, screen, like you, like guitar. There's Hero, a guitar obviously. version, yeah. yeah. Or, like, but you plug but, in a real guitar and you play the game with it. I don't know, Ryan. I don't make the rules. If it works and it's fun, then it teaches me piano. I can't tell. Like, I would trade everything I've ever done in freestyle to be like sixty percent as good as Brad Paldo at piano. Now he's like one of the greatest piano players I've <laughs> ever encountered. But like, I I only need to be sixty percent as good as him. You know yeah <laughs> wait do you I, ever I, compare your like i'm this good at freestyle compared to other people like i wish i was this good at something else well, like, here's why i think it's a fair trade right okay. like okay look like freestyle is tiny it's not a big deal like nobody really cares but like i get to be a world champion number <laughs> one ranked player like i get to be at the top of this yeah. thing and i will trade that to be really good at piano, but like completely unremarkable. Like I wouldn't, be, <laughs> no one would know who I was. I wouldn't be famous. No one would remark. It would, there would be no like footnote in history about <laughs> this guy who was like really good at piano, but like so are lots of other people. But like, I would take that. Like I would just be so happy to be that good at piano. I would not. The community, you would lose all your, you wouldn't gain the equivalent of piano friends. Okay, but maybe okay, fair. That's like the most Ryan thing you've ever done here. But I'll I'll just say like I get to continue being in the freestyle community, but I'm like the worst freestyler. Oh, okay. Now you're I'm getting more on board. Right? Yep. It's, it's pretty it's pretty tight. Mine would be with dance though. If I could be like the sixth or top forty percent dance percentile, I'd trade my freestyle skill for that. Did I ever talk about like the I'm sorry if I'm talking about this war, but I think it'll be amuse some people to hear like my standing in the music world when I was at the peak of my game. So and this will be a, a tale of being humbled. So don't worry, this is not just going to be like an arrogant fest. But like, I was really good at drums. I was like crushing it in Texas. Like I was like, I will go up against anybody. <laughs> but then two things happened. One my one of my teachers hooked me up with a piano player who I played like tons of jazz shows with when I was in high school. But this piano player was like 10 times better at piano than I was at drums. He was 10 <laughs> times better at piano than any musician I'd ever met. And I was in the circuit. Like I met all the great musicians around the country in our age group. But like this guy was just so much better at piano than I was at drums. And I was just like, man, like I cannot even compete with this like i was worried like he was probably better be better at drums than me like he could probably just like intuit it you just sit down and be like i'll show you how to do this and he pushed me so hard and then and he was very nice but like he, he was the, the only person we like i can't do the things that you want me to do like this song is in like 9 11 and we're playing like 500 beats per minute like i can't physically do this anymore and quick postscript on him i check out his music sometimes his music is like white noise now it is like so complicated he made an album called progressive overload and like i think it was very 
appropriately titled. I think it was like self-knowing that this is for basically nobody else, which I look, I appreciate as a freestyler, like your art is for you and nobody else, but it is crazy. But the other thing that happened to me is I went to Berkeley school of music one summer and I feel like basically everyone there was really good, but like most people were in the same ballpark as me at drums, except for this one guy jimmy mcbride the guy was so good and he was so annoying it's just like <laughs> sorry if jimmy mcbride happens to be a listener out there but look this is gonna be all praise for him he had like he was so good that he had like a posse which is like it didn't even make sense it was like draco malfoy with crab and coil I was like like do these guys even go to school here like they don't seem to play an instrument they just seem to like follow you around because you're really good at drums and he was just such like a dweeb but he was so good at drums and i checked him out too and he's crushing it he's so good at drums it's amazing <laughs> wait what do you think people think when they look you up they're like oh, i remember this drummer from high school what is he doing now <laughs> i mean i'm sure i made this joke before but like among all my artsy fartsy musician friends i feel like i'm the least successful and you know i'm like a high-powered attorney like doing lawyer things but like everyone else is like playing madison square garden that's a real thing that happened like touring with a very famous like folk country band started a company that has like 150 employees that does like virtual concerts like they're all such geniuses and i'm super proud of all of them although being a musician is terrible (laughs) so like even my friend who's without question the most successful musician among us He's the one who played Madison Square Garden and like toured with 21 Pilots and AOL Nation. His life is challenging. Like it is just awful being a musician unless you're like Taylor Swift or something, which I'm sure is awful in other unique ways. But he's so good. And like it makes me mad that it's not like easier to be that good (laughs) and have things work out for you. I don't know. I'm definitely like one of my concerns with the world is that and like there's you could argue this is a good thing, but it's just been broken up into a million pieces. We don't like share monocultures anymore. Like everyone's in their own little niche world. And like we're probably like the worst example of that we're freestylers. But like it makes it very hard to, I don't know, make a living just being like really good at something sometimes. That's well, I guess value and skill are not the same thing. So you can like be skilled at something that's not very valuable. That's true. Like you're better off not being skilled, but just being like goofy and like, (laughs) I don't know. I think, I don't know. I don't want to sound like get off my yard. I I'm like, feel so lost in this world, Ryan. (laughs) It's just so different already than when we were coming of age and I'm so bewildered by it. I just don't understand. Like, what if they stop making movies? Like that'd just be the end, man. (laughs) But that, to me, that would only happen because there's something better than a movie that I could switch to. So I'd be okay with it. But I mean, think about like, so this year was like a great year for movies after like many bad years. And I'm sorry for you, Lauren, following my erratic train of thought here, but there's a through course for me personally. Um, like this year, five of the most famous directors of the last 30 years, like all made movies and like only one of them made any money. It's like... <laughs> Martin Scorsese comes out with a masterpiece with Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio and like barely (laughs) made its money back. I don't know. I haven't looked at the box office recently and like that's not really how they measure things anymore, but it's still like 
when we were teenagers, that would have been like the Titanic. Like everyone would have <laughs> seen it and talked about it and known it about it. I didn't feel like the Titanic when I watched it. I mean, well, look, you we're know what? 40 I was... minutes into this podcasting. I haven't talked about Iron Claw once yet. So. Okay, I believe you. I've been waiting to talk about okay. the Iron Claw. Okay, year of movies. I'm on a tear right now seeing good movies. I'm going to work my way to Iron Claw. But we watched The Holdovers recently. And I remember seeing an ad for Holdovers like a year or two ago. And I, th- I thought it was a joke. I was like, there's speaking of they don't make movies anymore. Like, there's not a movie with Paul Giamatti about like English schoolboys that are like waiting over wintertime. Like, what is this? <laughs> and it looked like a really cheesy comedy. It's a masterpiece. It's so good. It's in like the it's a serious contender for best picture. I mean, Oppenheimer's almost certainly gonna win, but apparently there's some talk that maybe this movie has a chance. Really good movie. Also, from the Dota podcast, I watched One Cut of the Dead. Highly recommend. <laughs> Have you watched this yet, Ryan? No, but I did hear that recommendation. Okay, so here's the recommendation. And this blew my mind. So the recommendation from the Dota podcast was, this movie is S-tier, 5 out of 5 movie, and you're going to hate the first two-thirds. And I was so <laughs> intrigued by that. I was like, how can you have a movie that's so bad, but then it turns around to be so good? And I watched it. And I'm like two thirds in. I'm like, this can't be saved. Like this is <laughs> the worst movie I've ever seen. And it completely turned around. And I was like, that movie is one of the clever, most clever movies I've ever seen in my life. Like period. That's not an exaggeration. Find me a more clever movie than that. And like, I will be floored. Okay. But the movie, I, this is, this movie <laughs> is the hill that I'm going to die. in. it is critically claimed. Lots of people like it. But like, it seems like lots of people like it in terms of like, oh, it's a great movie. I'm like, no, this movie is a masterpiece. The Iron Claw. It's a movie about a true story, like ish, obviously like any true story in a movie. There's a lot of changes that they made about a Texas wrestling family. Note, note about me. I've never watched pro wrestling. I've never had any interest in pro wrestling. But pro wrestling is apparently like my favorite vehicle for drama <laughs> 2007 the wrestler one of my favorite movies Th- the three seasons of the canceled tv series glow about women professional wrestlers among the greatest tv shows i've ever seen top 10 for sure maybe even top five and now iron claw is like it has to be in my top 10 favorite movies <laughs> i've ever seen so me you and margaret saw it like christmas eve or something we were all sobbing at the end of it. <laughs> and it was great, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. Oh, man. I like. I don't want to say anything. It's very tragic story. It's very sad. It's very moving. I think it's... I think it has a much more complicated story than looking at it. Everyone seems to like it, but I feel like people are oversimplifying what it's trying to say or what it's about. But, like, whatever. It's so good. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully acted. The story is riveting. I'm obsessed. Like, I've been wanting to go back to see it again. I'm going to watch this movie a hundred times. It's so good. <laughs> go see it. It's kind of not a really movie you can recommend very easily, though, right? Like, I was talking to my dad, and I recommended it, and I was like, don't blame me for recommending that movie. Like, go at your own peril. <laughs> but it was awesome. You liked it. I did like it. I don't know if I liked it as much as you liked it. Yeah, but I... It's so hard for me to guess what you will like or don't like that... 
you coming out so positive that movie was really good. I feel like watching a couple things, I was worried how you would feel. Okay, let's turn the tables though, by the way. <laughs> I was I took you to the Iron Claw. Like we I gave you great movies to watch. You recommended that we watch on Christmas Day Jingle All the Way, among the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> An Arnold Schwarzenegger Christmas movie. Don't recommend. No. Two thumbs down. Terrible. <laughs> I'm I'm still haunted that those were two hours we could have been playing Dota, but we watched Jingle all the way. Just tragic, tragic. Did you watch the holdovers yet, though? No. Is you it should watch it's it. streaming on Peacock? It looks like. Um, I bought it. I was no, like, they, I wanted them to have my money. They deserve my money. I think you would like it, maybe. I don't know. It's my new favorite Christmas movie because we were talking about how there aren't very many good Christmas movies come at me, but this is my new Christmas classic. I see. I can't watch for free. That That's a big hurdle. Okay. Well, we barely talked about Frisbee. Thank you for putting up with us. I mean, whatever. Like three people listen to this podcast. I'm going to keep blithering as I blither. But you know what? Maybe <laughs> it's about time I get serious about freestyle again. Not competing, but... I'm like, I keep telling myself, I'm going to try to get learned stuff. Like we've been, as I mentioned, like we've been playing in the spin factory and normally when I'm jamming, I always feel like here's like the 10 things that I'm trying to do that are like new. But I was like, what are my things? Like I haven't been working on anything. Like, I don't, <laughs> my things are, you know, catching things that I already know how to do. So I need to get fired up. Um, so hopefully I'll do that. And you're playing with Matt Gothier. I don't know how I can't fire anybody up. I guess so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> how do I approach texting Matt? Like, you know, do I feign, feign frustration and sadness that he didn't even tell me he was back on the wagon? I don't know. I'm so excited. I got to find a way to jam with him. Yep. It'll happen. All right. Again, thanks for putting it up with us. This is just a, uh, unloading podcast at this point so with that we'll talk to you next month we're on a monthly schedule because you know whatever we're just two guys trying our best out here work is struggle life is busy but uh you know we'll be here next time so check us out clockercounter.com citizen email oh one last thing we asked people who jammed the most last year and i've selected a winner (laughs) based on the, the few submissions we got it was Kim Larkin. Kim Larkin. Kim Larkin voted by the community as the man who jammed the most in 2023. I believe it. Yeah. I have no idea, but it seems plausible. So you are the inaugural Clocker Counter Most Jam Wins Award winner. Congratulations, Kim Larkin. That award is available for 2024. I'm wildly behind, but. <laughs> If you're out there, make 2024 the year of your jam. I mean, you're not going to be well. I'm just going to tell you right now. But if you can, (laughs) kudos to you. All right. Anything else, Ryan? I don't think so. All right. We're out. Bye-bye.